الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا وحبيبنا رسول الله وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الأطيبين الأطهرين الذين أذهب الله عنهم الرجس وطهرهم تطهيرا قال الله تعالى في محكم كتابه الكريم وقوله الحق وهو أصدق الصادقين أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم بني أقم الصلاة وأمر بالمعروف وانهى عن المنكر أقم الصلاة وأمر بالمعروف وانهى عن المنكر واصبر على ما أصابك فإن ذلك من عزم الأمور Since the beginning of my series with you and the first night of the month of Muharram al-Haram I have not yet once mentioned COVID I have not yet once mentioned the coronavirus because I believe every single one of us has heard enough of lectures and analysis on the coronavirus, where it came from, what is it doing to us. Some have analyzed this to be a mean of God to punish humanity, some have seen it to be a mercy upon humanity. And I believe we all have heard sufficient amount of analysis on this particular topic. In fact, when I was preparing for the series, people reached out to me and they said, Sayyid, please don't speak about Corona. Please don't speak about the COVID-19 virus and pandemic. And I came across a tweet on Twitter, an interesting one, by somebody who said, I'm going to be sitting at home looking at different lecturers. As soon as they mention COVID, I'm going to skip to the next one. I'm not here this evening to discuss COVID or the coronavirus. 
But I'm here to speak of one of its important impacts on society. One of its major effects on our lives. We read in the Holy Quran, Allah describes the day of judgment. يَوْمَ يَفِرُّ الْمَرْءُ مِنْ أَخِيهِ وَأُمِّهِ وَأَبِيهِ وَصَاحِبَتِهِ وَبَنِيهِ لِكُلِّ امْرِئٍ مِنْهُمْ يَوْمَئِذٍ شَأْنٌ يُغْنِيهِ Allah describes the day of judgment as a day where a brother runs away from his brother and a family member avoids another family member and they don't want to see each other nor they want to deal with one another and Sometimes we find the description of the day of judgment to be hard to comprehend until the coronavirus hit. Today you find family members as well avoiding one another, running away from one another, having major disagreements with one another, sometimes major fights. And Allah describes the situation of the people of the, in the Day of Judgment. Why is it that they're avoiding one another? And why is it that they're running away from one another? Because on that day, they're busy with their own selves. Today as well, you find people are often busy to make sure they... Protect their own sanity. They don't have an anxiety breakdown. They don't go through depression. And unfortunately, today, with the arrival of the pandemic, you'll find people all over the world looking for comfort, Tranquility, peace of mind and order within their homes. And this has affected our families, our children, our marriages so much. Unfortunately, brothers and sisters, our time is extremely limited, specifically tonight. Because tonight is the night of Aza' for Imam al-Hussein. For the Ahl al-Bayt of Imam al-Hussein. And I want to say this. The Ark of Salvation has set sail. Safinatul Najat has set sail. And the captain of this Ark is no other than Sayyidina wa Mawlana. Al-Imam Abu Abdullah al-Hussein, Sayyid al-Shuhada. And we've arrived to the shores of Ashura, to the maqtal of Al-Imam Al-Hussein. It is time that we connect the lessons from Ashura. What we hear and what we read from the 10th of Muharram to our lives. Let me ask you, is what's happening to us today, to our families, to our children, in any shape or form, 
compared to what happened to Imam Al-Hussein on the 10th of Muharram, to his family, to his children? Absolutely not. Yet, did you hear or read or come across anything that tells you on the 10th of Muharram there was one family member who complained, who got in a fight with another one, who had a disagreement with Imam Al-Hussein, who had a fallout with Imam Al-Hussein. Absolutely not. How do you explain so much love, so much compassion, so much harmony amongst a family that's about to face the greatest calamity in history? A family that's not been fed for three days. A family suffering from thirst for three days in the plains of Karbala. Brothers and sisters, Imam Al-Hussein and his family enjoyed what is referred to as by the Quran as Iqmi'nan. Al-Iqmi'nan. Allah and the Holy Quran speaks of Al-Iqmi'nan. Contentment. And Allah says, Ala With the remembrance of Allah, those hearts are put at ease. They're no longer anxious. They're no longer racing. And Allah describes the at-tafasir of the Ahlul Bayt from our noble Imams tell us that this is a reference to Imam Al-Hussein. Ya ayyatuhan nafsul mutma'innah irji'i ila rabbiki radiyatan Return to your Lord in a state of contentment. Being content with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what they enjoyed. They were overtaken by the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Their hearts occupied nothing besides Allah. And I'll get to this momentarily. But is this something that happened and occurred overnight? The family of Imam al-Hussein. How they were so respectful and loving to one another. Like I said, not a single complaint is filed on the 10th of Muharram, the 9th of Muharram. Is this something that happens overnight? Absolutely not. In fact, Allah refers to this household in the Holy Quran for all Muslims to read and to witness. فِي بُيُوتٍ أَذِنَ اللَّهُ أَن تُرْفَعْ وَيُذْكَرْ فِيهِ اسْمُهُ In specific homes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given permission to those homes to rise, to shine. His name is remembered in them in abundance. When this ayah was revealed, the books of hadith of all the Muslims, the Sihah. They tell us that Abu Bakr, the first Khalifa, went to Rasulullah. Ya Rasulullah. We've read this ayah about those specific homes. 
about those specific families. Then he pointed to the house of Fatima and Ali. He said, Ya Rasulullah, ahad al-bayt minhum? Is this home one of them? فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ in response says, بَلْ هُوَ مِنْ أَعَاظِمِهِمَا This home that you're pointing to is the greatest of them. In a letter, Imam Hassan tells Muawiyah, and if you like, I will tell you, and I will show you where Jibra'il would descend in our home the specific location of Jibra'il when he would descend onto Rasulullah at our home I will show you the place so the home of Fatima the home of Ali the product and the fruits was Imam Hussein was a Sayyidah Zainab and the fruits of that home of Imam Hussein and a Sayyidah Zainab and their family are the likes of Aliyun al-Akbar. Aliyun al-Akbar, who is described as Ashbahun Nas Khalqan wa Khuluqan wa Mantiqan bi Rasulillah. A man who resembled Rasulullah in his behavior, in his looks, in his mannerism, in his akhlaq, and the way he walked, and the way he spoke. To an extent, to an extent, that some historians say when Ali and Al-Akbar came into the battlefield on the 10th of Muharram, many people for a second they thought, here is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam on the battlefield, standing in defense of his grandson Imam Al-Hussein. That's how much Ali and Al-Akbar resembled Rasulullah. Ali al-Akbar, when he's asked about the 10th of Muharram and how he feels by his father in the famous conversation that you've all heard, he says, Ya Abatah, la nubali. Oh, my father, we should not care. We should not sweat this one. La nubali, ala al-maut am alayna. If death came to us or we went towards death. The young man, Qasim ibn al-Hasan, Imam al-Hussein asks him in the last moment before he leaves. He sees an army of 30,000 men. He says, Bunayya Qasim, kayfa tara al-mawtu dunak? How do you see this death that's coming to you? You're about to see it. And it wasn't a natural death. Death by the swords. Death by annihilation. He said, فِي نُصْرَتِكَ يَا عَمْ أَحْلَى مِنَ الْعَسَرِ To give you assistance, to be your aid. It is sweeter than honey, O oh my uncle. What explains the harmony within the family of Imam Al-Hussein, the maturity of the children surrounding Imam Al-Hussein, like I said, is there unconditional love for Allah? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala occupied their hearts and their minds and their entire existence. 
And we are here to learn that from Imam Al-Hussein. This evening we are here to make change within us. To neglect hubbu dunya and the love for the dunya and to welcome the love of Allah in our hearts. Brothers, if I were to sum up the event of Ashura, what was happening in the camp of Imam Al-Hussein, what was happening in the camp of Umar ibn Sa'd and Shibr ibn Dhil Jawshan in one sentence, I would say it was a fight over Hubbud Dunya and Hubbullah. What differentiated the two camps is one, they were overtaken by the love of Allah, the love of Rasulullah, the love of the Quran, the love of Imam al Hussein. And it all goes back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A man by the name of Abbas ibn Shabib. You all heard the story of Abbas ibn Shabib. Abbas was a companion. He wears his shield. He wears his helmet. He goes out to fight. He faces many enemies. Then he runs back. He takes off his shield. He takes off his helmet. He runs towards the enemies. They say to him, Ya Abbas, what happened to you? Why would you take off your shield? Why would you take off your helmet? He says, La faqad ajannani hubbul Hussein. The love of Hussein has, has driven me insane. The love of Hussein that resembles the love of Allah. He awaits his shahada. He awaits to meet Rasulullah, his father Amir al-Mu'mineen. He awaits to meet Fatima al-Zahra. One camp was overtaken by the love of Allah. Overtaken by the love of Rasulullah and his family. And the other camp was overtaken by Hubbud Dunya. Don't think this is some tale from history. It's a story we read and it does not relate to our lives. Wallahi, it relates to every moment of our lives. Some of us, we come, we cry for Hussein. We beat our chests for Hussein. But we are overtaken by the love of the dunya. Hubbud dunya. The lavishness and the glamour of this world. We're not willing to give up any sort of comfort for the sake of Allah. We're not willing to compromise our, our wealth, our bank accounts. For the sake of Allah, for the sake of Rasulullah, for the sake of Imam Al-Hussein, yet year in, year out, to say, Ya laytana kunna ma'aka, fanafuza fawzan azima. Is this something acceptable? I don't know what's in your heart and you don't know what's in my heart. It's between you and Allah. But you know what's in your heart and I know what's in my heart. I know how much Allah occupies from my heart. Imam Al-Hussein, Rasulullah, his family. And how much belongs to the dunya and hubbu dunya. 
And unfortunately, we don't understand. That's when we take a step towards Allah. We dedicate our lives to Allah. We dedicate our wealth to Allah. Neither our life will decrease, nor our health will be compromised, nor will be stricken by poverty. In fact, if anything more, it is given more barakah and blessings. Do we not believe in the concept of barakah? The blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts in our lives today. You know many individuals, millionaires or billionaires, and now we have a new trend, trillionaires, who have the money, but are they happy? Are they able to enjoy it? What ensures happiness is the barakah that Allah also gives with the wealth, with the rizq, whatever it may be. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam says, listen to this brothers and sisters. Hubbi wa hub al-bayti yanfa'u fi mawatina thalath. My love and the love of my Ahl al-Bayt will help you in three places. Most certainly and most definitely will come to our aid. Number one, When we look at Malak al-Mawt, when he is there to take or end this chapter of our life, when we are afraid, when we feel lonely, Rasulullah says, Hubbi wa hub al bayti will come to your rescue. Number two, when they put us in the grave, and I tell you there is nothing more lonely, frightening, than being seven feet deep all by ourselves. When everybody leaves the gravesite, the qabristan, they go back home. The first night of our grave, Rasulullah says, Hubbi wa hub al-bayti, it will come to your rescue that night. And number three, when we are given the book of A'mal, when we are given our book of A'mal, again, the hub of Ahl al-Bayt, the love of Ahl al-Bayt will come to our rescue. But what is the love of Ahl al-Bayt? Just for me to say, I love Hussein. I love Ahl al-Bayt, I love Imam Ali. Or I have to show this love and demonstrate this love. And when they need me, I don't turn my back to them. I don't neglect them. I don't walk away from them. And I believe that this year, some communities were tested. And they have come out of this test with extreme victory. Those communities will be resurrected with Ashab al Hussein in the Day of Judgment. Those individuals who stood in defense of the majalis and the cause of Imam al Hussein will be resurrected with Ashab al Hussein. And we think it's easy, you know, we say, yeah, inshallah, we will be resurrected with Imam al Hussein. We read Ziyarat Ashura tomorrow. And we beg Allah, we literally beg Allah. And the sujood after the ziyara, what do we say? Allahumma j'alli qadama sidqin ma'al Hussein wa ashab al-Hussein alladheena badalu muhajahum doon al-Hussein alayhi salam.
Oh Allah, I beg you, keep me firm in the service of Hussein. Keep me a firm azadar and lover of Hussein. Don't let things shake me up. Therefore, you find many communities, they came together and they continued the majalis of Imam al Hussein. The protection of the cause of the Ahlul Bayt is through those majalis, brothers and sisters. The protection of our morality and our akhlaq and our values and our homes and our families is done through those majalis. And I am proud, and every single one of you, we are proud to be part of this endeavor. And I said this couple of nights ago, I'll say it again this evening. It is probably my last chance to say this. The safest place possibly in the entire United Kingdom where you're sitting at in your vehicles. The social distancing laws and regulations are intact. Every person feels safe. Yet we don't give up. Yet we were unstoppable. Nothing stop us, stopped us from the aza of Sayyid al-Shuhada. And that is what's important. When the aza of Imam al-Hussein, when the majalis of Imam al-Hussein, they call on to us for nusra. The call of Imam al-Hussein tomorrow is for every single one of you. Is there anybody to come to our rescue? Is there anybody to help us? Is there anybody to aid us? And we are the family of Rasulullah. This was a message to me and you. For generations to come. When it comes to Imam Al-Hussein, are we willing to aid? Or will we choose hubbu dunya over Imam Al-Hussein? Wealth over Imam Al-Hussein. Our comfort over Imam Al-Hussein. And sometimes the shaitan, he comes to us, obviously. And we end up making the most pathetic excuses not to give nusra and aid to Imam Al-Hussein. No, you have a family. Your family is more important. You have your own community. Your community is more important. You do, you do not belong to this community. Stay at home. It's more comfortable on your couch. Why is this program taking so long? Why do I have to drive such long distances? Why do I have to, for example, pay this hefty amount in support of this majlis? Or what have you, whatever is going on in your community, in your local city or whatever is happening in your Husseiniya or Imam Barga. And I'm speaking to many people. People who have generously welcomed us, welcomed us into their homes, into their living rooms. They have turned their homes into azakhana for Imam al-Hussein, for the Ahl al-Bayt. It's easy that we start making those lame excuses. Pathetic excuses. And we wait and we say, well, if we are asked, if we are approached, we will support the cause of Hussein. There is no such thing. If 
this opportunity passes, it passes you. It passes you to support Imam al-Hussein. It passes you to reaffirm your allegiance with Imam al-Hussein. You've missed on the opportunity on the day of judgment. You'd have to answer to Fatima, to Rasulullah, to Imam al-Hussein of the level of your commitment to them. Don't wait to be asked. Run after the service of Imam al-Hussein. Run after the khidmah of Imam al-Hussein. Because like Rasulullah said, it will help you in those three places. And like I said, brothers and sisters, Safina Najat, the Ark of Salvation of Allah has a, has a captain. And the captain is Hussein ibn Ali, Sayyid al-Shuhada. And it has set sail. And tomorrow we arrive to the 10th of Muharram. But we are here to perfect our families. And with the few minutes left, I'd like to speak to the parents, to the families, of how to become better parents. Inshallah, you're all wonderful parents, good parents, devoted individuals to your families. How to become better fathers and how to become better mothers. And usually we hear lectures on what to do to become a better father. What to do to become a better mother. What to do to become a better parent. Today I'd like to speak of four things that we sh you should not do as a parent. And I'm going to make it very simple, very brief. Like I said, tonight is the night of Aza. Things that you should not do as parents in order to ensure quality life, happiness, peace and tranquility in your homes. Regardless of their size, whether you are in a small home or you are in a mansion. Imam al-Hussein's family was in small tents that were about to be burnt the next day. But there was so much love and harmony amongst them. Let us examine this topic after your three energetic Husseini salawats ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. Number one, brothers, sisters, don't go around caring for what you wear, what your kids wear, their exterior. Making sure that they always wear, you know, matching colors. They wear brands, they wear beautiful shoes. And there is nothing wrong with that, believe me. It's very beautiful for a mu'min to look presentable and to teach your kids from childhood. Make sure that when they wake up in the morning, they wash their face, they comb their hair, they use perfume, they match their colors. That's beautiful. I encourage you to, to continue to do that. And not only care for what they put inside their stomachs. That's it. Their exterior, how they look to the public. 
and what they put in their stomachs. Other than that, we don't care about their spirituality and spiritual wellness and well-being. And like I said, unfortunately, time is limited. Today, I see many parents who sign their kids up for football, for tennis, for piano. Now it's become a trend. However, rarely they spend time to read the Quran with their children. Those are basic things, but they're important things. Basic things. Reading the Quran with your family. I know many adults, many elders, they don't know how to read the Quran themselves. But mashallah, when it comes to the stock market, when it comes to real estate and properties, when it comes to fashion, when it comes to social media, when it comes to cars, when it comes to trends, when it comes to fashion, mashallah, we're the best. And everything we have is top of the line. But when it comes to recite, reciting the words of Allah, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, Imam al Hussein didn't just care about what his kids wore, he cared about their akhlaq, about their morality about their iman and that's how he was able to tell to give the world aliyun al-akbar that's how he was able to give the world qasim that's how he was able to give the world sukaina that's how he was amir al-mu'minin was able to offer the world abal fadl abbas make sure that you spend time Reading the Quran, reading the ahadith of Ahlul Bayt and speaking to your children about them. I have said this many times. I'll say this tonight as well. Don't become dependent thinkers. Don't teach your kids. You know, listening to lectures is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. Specifically, if you listen to lectures that your kids enjoy more than you do. However, don't become independent thinkers where you only, the only time you spend with Islam is when a lecturer is speaking to you. No. Go in and get a passage from the Quran. Read it amongst yourselves. Then ask your family, what do you think? What does this mean to you? Ask those, ask those children. That's what the Ahlul Bayt did. Speak to them. Share ideas with them. Let them know it's okay for them to be involved in religious matters. Let them know it's okay for them to ask religious questions. To have an input in the matters of Islam. We've grown up while we're, they throw so many laws, regulations, fiqhi masail onto children. And I'm sure all of you can relate to this. Brothers, sisters, children, they don't enjoy Laws and regulations. They're children. They enjoy morality and akhlaq. They enjoy love and compassion. Speak to them of the akhlaq in the Quran. Morality in the Quran. The akhlaq and the ahadith and the riwayat. The morality and the ethics within the ahadith and riwayat. They'll enjoy that much more. And do not... Do not scare them from Allah. 
Don't say, if you do this, Allah is going to burn you. If you do this, Allah is going to hate you. If you do this, <clears throat> there is going to be a snake in the day. And when they put you in the grave, it's going to bite you. When will we stop this madness? How is it that we're asked to teach our kids the love of Allah, but we scare them? If you don't go to bed, Allah is going to this and this. As if Allah has some sort of wild, na'udhu billah, na'udhu billah, wild beast waiting to attack us. You know, every time we make a mistake, strikes us with different thunders. Stop this madness. Teach your children to love Allah. If they love Allah, when they make a mistake, they'll feel ashamed. They'll return to Allah. Laws don't make a difference in their lives if they don't understand the end results. And you see this in the Quran and in the hadith of the Ahlul Bayt. They first tell us the end results, then they tell us how to get there. Would you like, Allah says, would you like to know the best of transactions? Then he tells us. Rasulullah says, would you like to know the best of a'mal? Then he tells us. Would you like to know something that's going to increase in your rizq? Would you like to know the best people, for example, within their families? The end results and then the way to get there. Let us teach that to our children. That's number one. Number two. Make sure that you discipline your children, but you don't own them. And there is a fine line. People who see the end results as discipline, as akhlaq, as morality, as them being happy in the end of the day. Because with akhlaq, with morality, with ethics, they'll have a life of happiness. And without that, they won't be happy. But some people's concept of discipline as no, you then have to know who's the boss. I'm the boss. It doesn't matter how you grow up and what happens next. Their concept of discipline and the end goal is that the child is afraid of the dad. Is afraid of the mother. Every time a father looks at his son, then he's just scared. He looks at his daughter, she's scared. They suffer from anxiety. Why? Because we feel that we own them. We treat them and the home like a boot camp. As if it's an army. I'm the lieutenant and they're the soldiers. Everything I say, yes sir, yes sir. This is not how a home should run. Discipline them, teach them. With kindness, with mercy, with compassion. Make sure when you tell them, even when you're disciplining them, tell them this is because I love you, I'm doing this. I love you, I'm grounding you. I love you, I'm taking your toys away from you. I love you, I... Number three. Don't overspoil your children. Some parents, you know, we have two generations now. The ones that every day they were spanked by their parents. And now every day they're being spanked by their children. So we have two generations. One, who went through misery at home when they were growing up. And now they're going through misery with their children growing up. 
Because it's, you know, the children who are the boss at home and they're over being overspoiled. Night Fort, or I don't know what this is, those games are called. And all day, all night, they're sitting in front of the TVs, PlayStations, Xbox, if not, then their iPads, and they're playing Fortnite. While we don't tell them that there are children your age that are sitting in Yemen, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in India, in Pakistan, they don't have bread to eat. They don't have drink, clean water to drink. And we overspoil them to an extent when they go out to the world, they're shocked. Because the world is not what we have created for them. So they don't become independent individuals. They have no self-esteem. They, they have no self-confidence. And as soon as they go to the real world, there's a crash. There's a clash. And then they are hit with anxiety. You're not doing your kids a favor by overspoiling them. There has to be a fine line between being a parent, guiding them, teaching them, disciplining them, and being their friends, being compassionate. Be firm. And last but not least, the last one, and inshallah, we go towards the Aza of Sayyid al-Shuhada. Do not force your kids into marriage. Just a couple of moments I'd like to spend with parents who have children, teenagers, young adults who are at the age of marriage. Every single day, why are you not getting married? This is the only thing they ask. The only thing I ask of you for you to get married. I want to see you get married. And do not force your children into the wrong marriages. What are the wrong marriages in our community? You see, today, divorce rates in our community is very high. I, I don't want to say the rate now. I know the rate very well. I know the percentage very well. But if you look at large cities, such as London, New York, Los Angeles, major cities, it's up to 70%. And then you have others, other cities that are in the 50s and 60s, and we're not far away from that. But we have a different dilemma. There are other reasons why the marriages within our community are leading into divorce, unfortunately. One is wealth and money. Don't push your child into a marriage because of money. If you believe in Allah, Rasulullah and the Ahlul Bayt, they have taught us this marriage will not bring happiness. If this is the only reason why a person is going into a marriage. Do not force your children into a marriage because of money. I don't have time to get into the details. I'll only give you the headlines. Number two. Do not get rid of your kids in marriage. Meaning what? 
Meaning we say when he gets married, inshallah, he'll become wise. Inshallah, when he gets married, he's going to act differently. So we just push him out. So he gets married. Just because we just can't deal with him anymore. We can't deal with her. So we say, inshallah, after they get married, they will wisen up. There's no such thing. Number three. Do not force your children and push your children into marriage because, just because you want to see their grandkids, your grandkids, you want to see their children. That is unacceptable. Let's go through the list. Next, number four or number five? Number four. Do not push your children into a marriage just because of what people think. Why is my daughter not married at this age? What will people think? Let me push her into a marriage. What will, my, what will people think or what are people saying about my son because he's not married? Let me push him into a marriage. Do not do that. Those marriages are resulting into disasters. And lastly, there are many items on the list. Lastly, do not push your children into a marriage they do not desire. They tell you, I don't desire this marriage. I don't desire him. I don't desire her. No, no, no. Inshallah, a couple of months and you will grow to love one another. I hate this guy. I hate this person. I can't stand looking at him. You're telling me I'm going to grow to love him? Don't create recipes of disaster for yourselves. Headaches. Anxiety. God forbid leading to heart attacks. For parents. Because of what comes next after creating those recipes for themselves. Allah has safeguard our families. Our children. And now, let us go towards the campsite of Sayyid al-Shuhada, Al-Imam al-Hussein, and spend moments in Aza' with Alu Rasulullah. Brothers, sisters, wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, I want you to raise your voice. And for those who have gone to Arba'een, this reminds me of the Arba'een, the darkness, all the people, the brothers and sisters. May Allah bless them, the volunteers, the volunteers, those volunteers that have gone far and beyond giving you food and, and water and caring for you. And May Allah bless them, pray for them. So imagine that you are now Bainul Haramain. You are during the walk from Najaf to Karbala. And from here send your salutations to Al-Imam Al-Husayn and to his son Aliyun Al-Akbar, to his son Abdullah Al-Radhi, Aliyun Al-Azghar. Altogether, wherever you are, whether you're in your homes, whether you're in your vehicles, whether you're standing outside, altogether, let us put our hands on our chest. Assalamu ala al-Hussein.
الحسين وعلى علي بن الحسين وعلى أولاد الحسين وعلى أصحاب الحسين ورحمة الله وبركاته ولا جعله الله آخر العهد مني لزيارتكم All those who have hajat Some of you have driven from different countries Some of you have driven long distances This is the time that you ask for your hajat from Sayyid al-Shuhada Ya Sayyidana wa Mawlana Inna tawajjahna وَاسْتَشْفَعْنَا وَتَوَسَّلْنَا بِكَ إِلَى اللَّهِ All of you. يَا سَيِّدَنَا وَمَوْلَانَا إِنَّا تَوَجَّهْنَا وَاسْتَشْفَعْنَا وَتَوَسَّلْنَا بِكَ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَقَدَّمْنَاكَ بَيْنَ يَدَيْ حَاجَاتِنَا يَا وَجِيهًا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ اشْفَعْ لَنَا 